Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm your host today, Colleen McCoy-Sika, Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. The sponsor of today's podcast is Catapult Learning. For 45 years, Catapult Learning has partnered with Catholic schools and dioceses to provide high-quality supplemental instruction, specialized services, and customized professional development. Today, they work with more than 2,000 Catholic schools across the country to support their academic mission of providing every child with an excellent education. Visit their website today at catapultlearning.com or call 800-841-8730 for more information. My guest today to talk about effective consultation is Michelle Doyle. Michelle Doyle leads Michelle Doyle Educational Consulting, which was founded in 2001 with the primary focus of assisting public and private schools and organizations in providing equitable services under federal education programs. Michelle previously served as the Director of Education for the Office of Government Liaison as the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. That's a mouthful, Michelle. She held the position of director of the Office of Non-Public Education in the U.S. Department of Education under three secretaries of education. Michelle is the author of publications on the equitable participation of private school students in federal education programs and conducts webinars and in-person trainings. She's a principal presenter at the annual Equitable Services Institute, sponsored by Catapult Learning. Um, If you don't know who Michelle Doyle is, um, you, you must you must be new to Catholic education, honestly, because she's kind of a legend. So um, here <laughs> today on the NCEA podcast, uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Michelle Doyle. Thank you, Colleen. It's very nice to be here and welcome to all the listeners, those I know and those I don't know. Uh, the word legend makes me sound old, so let's not go there. <laughs> not that can't all, be it. That just can't be it. <laughs> But I am delighted to be here. So thank you so much for having me. So did did I get it all? Is there anything else that you want to share about your background or anything else that you want the listeners to know before we jump into the questions? I think you have summed it up. Uh, Basically, I have. And and titles in federal programs are always a mouthful. But I have been working with federal education programs for private school students really ever since I was an elementary school principal in the Catholic Diocese of Arlington in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I hope that the experience that I've had can really translate to some practical help for those that are listening in today. Absolutely. Well, it's much appreciated. Your guidance is always much appreciated. So um, for the benefit of the listeners, then let's let's just jump in and and talk a little bit about how um, school leaders should be preparing for a consultation with their LEAs. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, those of you that have heard me speak before know that that I always say that really the key to being effective, whether you're a school principal, a superintendent, a government programs person, a teacher in the classroom, that if you want to be effective in bringing federal education program benefits to your students, consultation, that process is really the key. So consultation is a process that's actually outlined in the law or the laws, plural, for federal education programs that is communication between public and private school officials. So this applies to special education under IDEA. It applies to the Title I program, professional development under Title II 
um, English language learners, support for teaching and learning through that catch-all title of Title IV-A. And, and those of you that are not immersed sort of in federal education programs, just the different programs within a larger law are referred to as titles. So there is a lot of opportunity out there, but each and every one of those opportunities comes about through the consultation process. So what I'd like to share with you in regard to preparing for consultation are what I think of as, as three major steps. The first is to do your homework. Um, a lot of times we're maybe faced with, oh, I have a consultation meeting tomorrow morning. You clear your calendar and you show up on time. But to be effective in that process of as a private school person, as a Catholic school leader, working with your public school counterparts, doing your homework is really important. The foundation of all federal education program services is the needs of your students. So what you want to do is to come into consultation really knowing the needs of your students in a very specific way as it pertains to any of these programs that provide services to private and Catholic school students. So what do I mean by doing your homework? First of all, talk with your teachers. What are their needs in the classroom for professional development? What are their needs for their special populations, for English learners, for immigrant students, for special education students, or those that may be exhibiting some special needs characteristics? What are their needs for their struggling students? Um, kind of drill down into that so that you have a good sense, not only from test scores and other assessments you have, but from some live conversation with your teachers. What do they need in the classroom? What do they believe their children need in the classroom? Talking to parents can be really important too. Um, even in a general way, whether it's, you know, you're doing a quick survey monkey or you're at a PTO meeting and you want to say, you know, I'd love to hear what do you think our students need here, but to get some input from parents and then also to look at services that have already happened in your school. If you're a school that receives Title I services, are you just having the same services year after year because you are or have you ever evaluated the effectiveness of those services? If those services are doing a bang up job and when you speak to your teachers, they can say, we just need more of this. This is fantastic. Then you know what kind of request you're bringing into the consultation meeting. If on the other hand, you have teachers that are saying, oh yeah, I, I have kids that get Title I services, but I don't know, what, do they do? what happens in Title I? So if your classroom teachers are not seeing the results, you know you wanna go back to the drawing boards on that. So that's what I mean by doing your homework is to take that time to have the conversations, to review the data, to look at the success or non-success of current programs. And that's gonna formulate for you as the private school representative in the consultation process what you're going to be asking for. So that brings me to step number two. What's the plan of action that you're going to ask for? Now, with all of these federal education programs, the public school district, the person you're going to be consulting with, is going to be responsible for making the final decisions. 
But you don't want that final decision to be made in a vacuum. You want that decision to be made because you have presented the case for what's best for your students. So after you've done your homework, what do you think should be done in the federal program? What do you think the Title I program should look like? When do you think it should be offered? What subjects should be covered? What grade levels need it the most? If you're talking about professional development, where does it seem that your teachers need the greatest support? Or what have you all decided, whether through a self-study of accreditation or any other long-range planning, what have you decided to look toward and work toward in the future? And how could federal education programs help that? So when you know the what to do, what about the who should do it? Who is best to provide those services? Um, if it's a summer school program in Title I, do you want to encourage the school district to hire a third party? Do you want to encourage the school district or the third party to hire your teachers? Do you want new people coming in? What does it look like for you? So who should provide these services? Do you have a good line on some professors at your local college that would just do a great job in kicking off a PLC community for the school year because that particular person could really set the stage and move your teachers down the right path for discernment and learning throughout the school year? And then finally, under your plan of action, I know it's not easy to always know the costs, but if you have any sense of what the costs are, uh, just like none of us want to you know, rent a new apartment or buy a new car or even grocery shop if we don't know the budget we have, it's important to know, you know what the costs are going to be so that when we talk money with the district, we have a sense of, is this a realistic request? Are we asking for too little, asking for too much, just having a sense of that. The third step in preparing for consultation is to know what those required topics are in the law. And I'm not going to you know, go through all of those today, but there are things like what are the needs of your students? How is the funding determined? What is the amount of funding? Um, who's going to provide the services? When will they be provided? All of those kinds of things. Those required topics in the law should actually constitute the agenda. So in preparing for consultation, if you do your homework, come up with a reasonable plan of action and know what topics should be discussed, you will be well on your way to being very effective in the consultation process. Michelle, I've got a couple of, um, you know, just listening to you talk and I'm, I'm kind of going back to you know, both my principal days and assistant superintendent days and remembering, especially as, as a newer principal, how intimidating this process was, okay? So when we, when we think about newer principals going in for consultation with their LEAs, um, you know, sometimes principals are told, you know, the services that we offer as the LEA are these and these. You mentioned, as you were talking, you mentioned um, that sometimes schools just get the same services year after year after year. And sometimes that does happen because that's what the district tells us we get. So <laughs> and listening to you then talk about, you know, doing your homework and, and understanding, you know, what are the provisions in the law? What, what are you allowed to ask? So 
principals um, who go in, and, and sometimes assistant superintendents will go in and, and, and do that too. Um, I did a little bit in, in my role there, but um, much more so as a principal, knowing what are the questions that you can ask. So you, you're allowed to ask the district how much money they get for Title IIA and then what percentage of it goes to your school. You're allowed to ask these questions. This is kind of the thing is we never know going in in those early years um, you know, what we're even allowed to ask. So th there was a lot to unpack just in your first answer there. It was great stuff. That's for sure. And, and, you know, so here's a rule of thumb I use, Colleen, is that you're always allowed to ask anything. <laughs> now, is there right. a requirement <laughs> that, the, that the school district, that your counterpart provide you a full answer? Almost all the time there actually is. But it never hurts to ask, like at least get that question on the table. But in regard to money, I will emphasize that the law very specifically says that a required topic for consultation is how much money is available and how it was determined. So that's very specific in the law. But I think you're right. And, you know, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, here's what you should do. Um, but I hope that these tips uh, can kind of embolden people who have not done this before or who have been to those kind of passive uh, consultation meetings that some school districts hold where they assemble all the principals in the room and they say, so here's what we're going to do for you. Please be grateful. Exactly. Move on. <laughs> yep. You know, be that kind of thorn in the side that raises your hand and says, well, you know, I think, you know, and, and I would say just, you know, I just listened to a podcast or I just read a webinar or I was just reading a guidebook or I read the guidance from the U.S. Department of Education. And it seems that we should be talking about this, you know, so you don't have to be sort of overly in their face, but call them on things, you know, excuse me, but you know, it's my understanding, isn't it your understanding sort of thing. So right. um, there, there are ways to almost sort of gently start asking those questions. And then the other thing I would add, not to belabor it, but I always recommend that after consultation, even if it was a terrible meeting, um, to follow up with an email to get some kind of record to say, let's say it was one of these passive consultation meetings or you asked about money and they were like, mind your own business, move on. Um, right. I do think what if you put a follow-up email to say, you know, thank you for inviting us. I was a little disappointed, blah, 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 you know, and explain your reasons, but I still look forward to working with you because if that keeps snowballing and as you get better and better at the process, if you want to challenge that, if you want to work with other private schools in doing so, um, to maybe talk to the state ombudsman, I mean, those are all in the future, but it's very nice to have that, that record of things that you've started establishing. And it puts the district on record that you were paying attention, which is yes. always good. Right. It does not have to be confrontational. Uh, when you are informed, you can be respectfully informed and ask questions. 
So that's fantastic. So you 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 were also talking about um, you know some of the services that are provided, and they do often say, "Well, this is what we are going to do for you." Like it's you know the big prize that you get from them. So, what services um, should school leaders expect to receive? Sometimes they just say, "Okay, it's going to be reading or it's going to be speech." But what what services should school leaders expect to receive? Well, so it's a it's a broad question, of course, because there's all these different federal education programs that provide mm-hmm. uh, services to private school students. But I would say a couple of things in general in answer to that. First of all, that every one of the federal education programs outlines the possible services. Um, and near the end, I hope there's time that I can provide some resources for folks for kind of further information for them uh, that we can't cover in the time frame we have today, but every single program has a list of possible services. And what the U.S. Department of Education says in its guidance is that a public school district cannot, I say cannot, they do what they want, you know, they do what they want sometimes, but uh, they should not, and the law does not really allow them to come into consultation and only offer a subset of those services. All of those services are on the table for discussion. Now, your students may not generate enough dollars to have K through eight students in your school receive reading, math, and STEM services under Title I. It's on the table for sure. You may not have enough money for all of that, but that can be a starting point for discussion. What the district should not be doing is to say, we are going to offer uh, grades one, two, and three reading. Because there's so many more options that are out there. And you know, it could be that the needs of your students absolutely match what the district is offering. And it could be that the needs of your students don't match that at all. And so that's why doing your homework Knowing then, uh, as, a, as you know, the services themselves, knowing what services are allowed can help feed back into that plan of action. Now, I'll just say a couple other things about services. One of the things sometimes that we tend to do, I know I do it myself, is I look at federal education programs as their separate silos. So Title I can provide reading and math to students. Title II can provide professional development. Title III can provide services to English learners. You know know what I mean? They're in silos. What I often encourage my private school principals to do is so many of you have done self-studies. You've done accreditation visits. You have five-year plans. You know where you want to go at your school. So sometimes... What you can do prior to consultation so you know what you want to be asking for is to look at the needs of your students more globally rather than looking at the program and trying to fit your needs into it. So when you look at academic intervention, what is it your students need? So from that, you would know what to ask for in the Title I program. You might know then what your English learners need. They may need something similar They may need something different. They may need something more for their families. Um, Title IV is this, I call it a wonderful catch-all program. And you might want to have direct services that kind of mimic Title I, but don't have all the restrictions. 
there not be, may not be enough funds for that, but um, but you're looking as a holistic way of looking at what your students need as far as academic intervention. You can do the same thing for professional development. You can do it for student support services. So especially post-COVID, what kinds of social emotional support do your students need? What sorts of counseling do they need? What family support is needed? And when you know the answers to those questions, what can Title I do to help that? How can professional development help our teachers be more responsive? Do our English learners have a, a kind of a niche need within those categories? And what we can't pay for with other programs, can we pay for it with that Title IV-A academic support program? So um, looking at the needs of your students holistically uh, can help you to discern what services you want to ask for. And then just keep in mind that whatever is listed for that particular program, all of that is initially on the table for the consultation meeting. That's great. It's like a, there's an art to this, Michelle. It sounds like there's a- There is, and you know, like all art, it takes some practice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so so let's go back to the money then because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I know principals are, they're given a, a, a short timeline to do things and, you know, they miss their deadline or whatever and in a district maybe, you know, very- um, strict about that deadline and they say, you know, sorry, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to fulfill that. So I know that there's money sometimes being left on the table. But what are some of the other reasons why money might be left on the table? Well, I think one thing is often the count of children. So when we come to the Title I program, it is low-income children who reside in Title I attendance areas. And like you said, Colleen, that can sometimes be hard to count. It can be a short time frame for counting. But I think that is one of the things I think is worth pushing back on initially. So if you're just kind of starting to be more active in consultation or simply just starting consultation, getting the count of children correct is really important. And the biggest challenges are in the Title I program, because as I said, we're counting low-income children, and in special education under IDEA, because children need to have gone through the public school child find process. Um, and we won't go into the details of that, but just that the count of children can be challenging. The other thing to keep in mind is that for the Title II Professional Development Program and the Title IV-A Student Support and Academic Enrichment Program, it is simply a head count of the children that attend a given school. It doesn't matter where they live. They could live in that district where your school is located. They could live in a different state. They could live in a different district. It doesn't matter. It's a head count. So ensuring that the count is correct for each program um, can be very important. And the second thing I would say on this is, and I alluded to it in the answer to the first question, is it is important to ask, how much money did my children generate? Um, because that's a good way to leave it on the table. I often, I hate to be too suspicious, but I often think if a school district says, 
we're going to provide you with the following. Isn't that great? And I think, hmm, they did that without a fight. I wonder how much more money I had that I'm not spending. So that's my suspicious nature. Uh, so knowing the answer to how much money did my children generate and how was it determined? Because that goes back to that count of students is going to help prevent you leaving dollars on the table that could otherwise benefit your students. That's a really practical and um, kind of an easy suggestion there. Um, you know, accurate headcount. That's that's great. Um, so let's talk about then some some more practical suggestions since this can be we know that this can be an intimidating and complicated process to master over time. Um, what kinds of tools and recommendations do you suggest to school leaders? Well, you know, Colleen, the law itself can be a little bit dense. Uh, so I don't necessarily recommend that people like take out the statute. Um, as you progress, you may actually want to, uh, but I don't start with that. What the U.S. Department of Education, Office of Non-Public Education does is they put out guidance documents. And I like to say it's as close to the English language as the federal government can get. It is nice. in a question and answer format, easy to understand. They break everything down. And the U.S. Department of Education, Office of Non-Public Education, has guidance on each of the federal programs that provide services to private school students. Additionally, if any personnel from the Office of Non-Public Education have done any presentations, they have those available for you to watch and to review the slides. So to find the Office of Non-Public Education on the web, I would go to ed.gov, so that's ed.gov. In the upper right-hand corner, there is a search box. And if you simply type in Office of Non-Public Education, you will get to their website. And they organize everything on the website by the authorizing laws. So the Every Student Succeeds Act is going to have titles one, two, three, and four. And the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act will have their FAQs and resources for special education. It's pretty easy to find. And yes, it will take a little bit of time, but um, it, it is incredibly helpful. The second thing I would offer is that I actually have a website and almost everything on it is free. There are webinars, and there are some guides and publications, and that website is equitableservicesmdec.com, and you're welcome to check on that and see what resources are up there, and you can just uh, download them right to your computer. One of the best things about being in um, Catholic education is how we share our free resources with each other. So the resources that you just mentioned, um, you know, for people to be able to just log on and, and probably find answers to questions that they need, that is so valuable. And so thank you very much for, for sharing those. That means a lot. Um, Michelle, your, uh, your expertise and um, your wealth of knowledge is so greatly appreciated, and I'm so grateful that you were able to spend a little bit of time with me today. I know we're just scratching the surface, and it's a tip of the iceberg thing, but, um, but if people are able to log on to either one of the websites that you mentioned and um, you know, watch some webinars, dig into some, some of the information that you have, um, you know, that'll open doors and just provide them with more information. So thank you so much for sharing all and that. And thank you. It's always a delight to be with NCEA. I really appreciate the opportunity.
Thank you. I, I just want to thank you uh, for joining me today. I want to thank our sponsor, Catapult Learning, and I would like to thank our listeners for spending some time with the NCEA podcast today. 